0: i was just going to tell you this. I am extremely excited about this message this morning. Uh, I'm going to preach a, a message entitled, Honoring Women as God Desires. And this is a word from the Lord. I don't think just for our, our spiritual family it is, but I think it's a word from the Lord really for the, for the nation and for the earth right now. Because we're in an hour and a time where uh, the the degradation of women is possibly at an all-time high, though there's been many um, steps forward as it relates to women's rights and modernity, there is still so much suppression. And I just believe this, that where you see injustice like we've seen, there needs to be a prophetic voice from the church to speak truth to power, amen, and the gospel of the kingdom of God, it preaches not just a male message, but it preaches a message to mankind, male and female, and the redemption is complete in both genders, amen. All right, so before I get preaching, let me just pray one more time and just connect with the Lord and and ask the Lord to release the spirit of revelation Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful for a day like today where we can honor women, we can honor mothers. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now that you'd help me to connect to your heart about this so, such an important issue, this so very important issue. And so, Lord, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would breathe on the Word of God. It would illuminate, He would illuminate truth to us and the Word of God would come alive. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be challenged And that we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus and in your desires for for the church to to rightly honor women as you've desired, Father. So, Lord, I pray, stand with me here, hold my hand, and let me declare as an oracle, release the spirit of revelation this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Amen and amen. All right. Well, I'm gonna go through a number of scriptures today, and I wanna start right there in Genesis 1. And I wanna start with a concept called the Imago Day. If you know what that term means, just raise your hand, Imago Day. So it's a theological term, that's about eight people, okay. We'll bring the other 500 in. Uh, the Imago Day is simply a theological term, it means image of God, the image of God. And, and Genesis 1, verse 27, it describes What God did in creation. And and, you know, you can think you understand the Genesis story, but I'm quite convinced that most of the way that we picture the Genesis story is not how it happened. I think it was far grander, far more amazing than anything we've ever dreamed. But here in Genesis 1, verse 27, the the Bible gives us clear indication about what God was doing in the creation of humanity. He was taking of himself and creating a human race that, that actually was a depiction, not of his, maybe his physicality, but of his very nature, his image and likeness. And so in Genesis 1, God says this, so God created man in his own image. Everybody say, in his own image. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. What an interesting thought. So often, we can have this imagination that God the Father made a man And the bonus round was when he took the rib out of the side of man and the the man was put to sleep and he woke up and he went, whoa, man, woman. Y'all following that? That's not exactly how it happened. How it happened was this that in the eternal mind of God, he dreamed of a, of, a, of a race, of a people that he could love, that he could express his love toward. And he, 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 he wanted to imprint upon that race the, the DNA of himself, if I can say it that way, the very nature of God. And what he did in that creation of humanity is he decided there would be two genders. Because in both genders, we find detail from the heart of God expressed in man. Men and women are created in the image and likeness of God. And it's not two eyes, nose, and a mouth. It's the details of his character and of his nature that he actually needed both genders to express himself within. And so when we look into the the human story, and when we look into human creation, what we find is that it's in this this vessel of both genders that the the nature and the aspects of God's heart are reflected. And, And so in femininity, in femininity, there are details of the traits of God that are expressed This all comes out of the nature of God, out of the heart of God. And and so there are great strengths that we see in women that speak to us directly of who God is. And I don't know what, what your sort of path or what your hobby is in life, but I've made it my great desire to just peer into God. God is the biggest problem with humanity because we don't understand him. We don't know him. We're fond of making gods in our own image instead of coming to know the God who created us. And and the longer you stare into him, the more your own identity makes sense. And so what we find in creation is God uses us to even speak of himself. It's called the Imago Dei the image of God. That's why there's so many cultures. There wasn't just one culture in which God could express himself. He needed a myriad of cultures and a tapestry all across the spectrum all over the earth to express his very nature and image and likeness. Well, he had to do the same thing with male and female. In both genders, he expresses his image. Things like gentleness and mercy, nurture, strength, instruction, order, sensitivity, responsiveness, they all speak of God's nature. Now our challenge is this, that there's unfortunately false mentalities about the role of women, and so what's happened even in the church, especially in the church in some quarters, is that women have been suppressed and they've been devalued and dishonored, and it's caused a lot of harm and pain. Well, I've come today to set some of that straight. Because you know what Jesus did when he showed up on the earth? He set a lot of it straight. I was uh, reading this week, and I'm sure some of you saw this, but I was really touched. Um, Beth Moore, the, the, the really kind of, she's a really well-known Bible teacher. How many know Beth Moore? I mean, I just appreciate her ministry. Many, many of you know her. She wrote a, a, a letter This week, an open letter just addressed to my brothers in the Lord. And she began to detail and to identify the challenges that she has faced as a woman minister of the gospel. In a very, I mean, just merciful and diplomatic way, she called out the misogyny in the church. I was like, you go ahead, Beth Moore. I mean, she just put it plainly, kick some butt with this letter. But I was, as I was reading it, I was just, I was really uh, pierced and convicted personally because she began to just explain anecdotally some experiences that she's had as a, as a woman minister and the difficulties she's, she's gone through. And, and she, wasn't, she wasn't doing it in a shame-based way. She was doing it in a way just to say, this is, has been my reality, and, and I'm asking you brothers in the Lord to, to recognize this. She goes, I'm not saying it for my own benefit. She goes, I've kind of lived most of my life. She goes, I'm saying it for the benefit of the women that are kind of come behind me. But she told a couple stories, you know, she, she told one, she said, well, she, she gave a list of things, she goes, there's been many times where, you know, as a, as a woman minister, if I was ministering alongside of a man, I would make sure I'd wear flat shoes so as not to be taller than him. Or I would, I would make sure, you know, to, to always allow the men to speak first, and, and all these little social cues to just never want to come across as this strong, domineering woman. And... Uh, And and it just, it was interesting because she said, you know, there have been many times where she would be like with a group of men and they would all be speaking at the same conference, but they might be in uh, in an elevator or in a green room in the back, and she would sit there with the men while they all talked and they didn't even reference her. Or she'd be in an elevator. Do you know how hard it is to be in an elevator and not speak? With people that she was preaching at a conference with and they wouldn't even say hello. And this is the kind of thing that has actually been pervasive in the body of Christ that somehow women, preachers, teachers, le- women with leadership gifts have been looked down upon. And, and it's largely due to misunderstandings in the scripture. And Jeff and I were talking before the service. There'll be a day when we exegete certain passages, like 1 Timothy 2, and we break it down and make it really, really clear what the Bible says and what it does not say, and, and talk about this, Im- this issue of women, preachers, teachers, and, and leaders. but she told this one story, man, it just, it just, oh man, it convicted me, and it, it hurt me, and I just, there was empathy pouring out of me as I was reading it, and she said there's this one conference she was getting ready to go to speak at, and, and she was excited because the, the man that she was going to be speaking with at the conference was like her hero. And she had like read all of his books and he had made a massive impact in her own life. And she was just, you know, just so excited to be able to like just hang out with him a little bit and just talk theology. She just couldn't wait. And upon being introduced to this Bible teacher, she didn't say who he was. They greeted one another and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, oh wow, you're better looking than so and so. Beloved, that's sin. That is a sin issue. That's not just a Bible issue. She said she, she had you know, put it off in the category where there's verses maybe we see differently and it's just a Bible issue. No, that's a sin issue. When all of a sudden, a woman with a teaching, leadership gift that's blessed many people with the gospel and her ministry, the first thing that comes out of a man's mouth is, wow, you're hot? Are you kidding me? And what I realize is, there's been this excuse that we've used with Bible passages to degrade women even in the church. And it's not just even, you know, the issues of sexual abuse are coming out huge in the public right now, but it's not even just that. It's just sort of putting women in their place that a lot of men do. And I wanna call it out this morning and say, that is sin, and this far and no more. This far and no more. And so here's what we've got to do. We've got to get to the biblical truths on God's design and desire for how women are to be honored, and that's where we're going to find healing and freedom. Amen. So let's do this. Let's just take a look at a few Bible verses. Let's look at the biblical call to honor women because the Bible's pretty clear about how we're supposed to uh, treat women in the body. So Ephesians 5, and the verses will all come up on the screen. In the name of Jesus. Boom. Yeah, good. <laughs> Ephesians 5. We'll go right to the passage where so many times, you know, it's it, the focus of the Ephesians 5 passage on husbands and wives is wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. But man, verse 25 is harder than wives submit. Let's just be honest. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's harder than wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord because that means the man has to die. Did y'all catch that point? In marriage, the message to the man is go to the cross first. Repent first, humble yourself first, die first. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And here's the the bigger thought. The role a woman fills in the home is the role that, that we see where Jesus loves the bride. The woman fills the role of the bride. She is the one that's the picture of the one that Jesus cherishes and Jesus loves. She is the one that when the Lord Jesus comes back, he says he's gonna repay with vengeance those who have defrauded his bride. The woman in the home is a picture of the church, of the one that Jesus has affections for. If there was ever supposed to be somebody that was supposed to be rightly honored, It's the woman in the home because of the role she fills as the image of of the bride of Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter 3. Husbands, likewise dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So, Some folks will just read that passage and the only phrase that they hear is weaker vessel. (laughs) Husband's wife, weaker vessel. See, I told you. So data tells us, by and large, that the male gender has a taller frame and a heavier frame than the female gender. That the, the male gender has testosterone and the female gender has this nitroglycerin stuff called estrogen. Glory to God. <clears throat> Let the reader understand. Testosterone causes muscle to grow more in a more amplified way than estrogen. What Peter is recognizing here is the physical frame. When he says weaker vessel, he's just talking about the stature, the physical frame. He's not talking about the dignity, the honor, the internal strength, the emotional power. He's not talking about the, the sense of calling in God, the legitimacy of the anointing. He's not talking about anything else but physical stature. How do I know that? Because the very next phrase... He says, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together, co-partners in the the salvific experience of experiencing the blood of Jesus that cleanses you, that that delivers you, that changes you. She's a co-heir with you, man. You and her are together and receiving the grace of God. And then look what he says. He says, the point is you've got to honor the wife. Why? She's a co-heir and a partner with you, but if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. I wonder sometimes if the effectiveness or the lack thereof of the church's ability to pray a matter through has to do with our own lack of honor of women in the church. Could it be that we we actually are stumbling along, praying for a breakthrough, and we've got right here in the scripture keys to breakthrough that we simply won't walk out. Somehow we've imagined, and I, I and I, I do a lot of prayer, so I kind of have a picture of this we imagine that spiritual warfare is the time we spend actually doing the prayer, I will tell you that spiritual warfare isn't just the time you spend doing the prayer, it's the time you spend walking out the value system of the kingdom, walking out the admonitions of scripture. If you don't walk out the admonitions of scripture, it really doesn't matter what you pray, whether on a mic or in private, because you can completely delegitimize your prayer life by how you live in compromise. Oh, I'm preaching real good right now. <laughs> and this this is what Peter's talking about. He says, "Honor properly, man. He goes, "You want to be a man?" He goes, "Recognize this. Her her physical stature is weaker, but she's a partner with you. Now honor her properly." And then when you guys pray together, stuff is going to happen. Things will move. Angels and demons will shift. Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise. It's a word to teenagers, I mean children. It's a honor your father and mother. Notice, it doesn't say honor your father only. In other words, the honor in the home given by the children is supposed to be given to the man and the woman equivalently. Proverbs 1.8, hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Notice, the father and the mother are supposed to teach and train in the home. And the child is supposed to honor the instruction of the mother and the father equivalently, equally. I was reading uh, my notes to my daughter this morning. I was sitting there just kind of looking over them and drinking a coffee and, and I, she's sitting there and she just likes to sit with me. She'll just be there. And uh, she's kind of just restless. I said, you okay? She goes, I'm bored. I go, you want me to read you my notes? She goes, sure. So I start reading them to her. She's stopping me about every fifth word. What's that word mean? What's equally mean? It's a little tough when she said, because later there's a verse that says adultery. She goes, what's adultery mean? I go, "That's, that's a bad one, baby. It just means bad. (laughs) And then she just piped up. She goes, are you writing a book? (laughs) I go, no, baby, I'm preaching this morning. This is what I'm preaching on. And and we got to the end of it. I go, so what'd you think? She goes, I don't know most of what you said. (laughs) I, I said, okay, okay. But what do you think the main thing was that I said? She said, that we're supposed to treat women good? I said, that's it! <laughs> you got it! It's easy enough a seven-year-old can get it, beloved. We can get it too. Romans 16, verse 1, Paul speaking. He says this, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. What an interesting thought. This woman, Phoebe, she was a deacon. Other places, that word uh, diakonos, it's translated a leader. Here's Paul pointing out Phoebe saying she's a leader and and he uses this term benefactor. And I mean, I looked that word up and and that word literally translated means a woman set over others. A guardian, a protectress. Try using that in some sentence this week. That Phoebe, she's a real protectress. (laughs) (laughs) Protectress. Try to get that one out. A patroness. What was it? She was a leader in the church of Centria, and Paul was saying, and when I was there, she even ministered to me. Honor her as is fitting of the church to give honor. You know what Paul's trying to say? The church should be the leading place that honors women and sets an example for the world. Where was he saying this to? Rome. Do you understand ancient Rome? The status of women in that culture was like they were property do you understand how countercultural that passage is? He goes on through Romans 16 and identifies different women who labored with the apostles, and he, he encourages the church at Rome to honor them and, and respect them and bless them. I look at this. I go, man, in ancient Rome, where women were degraded at the highest level, here's Paul, the propagator of the gospel throughout that entire region, and he's commanding the church to honor women the way Jesus would have us to honor them. How much more is that a message for today? How much more should the church right now, in an hour where, you know, the objectification of women is at an all-time high worldwide, how much more should the church honor women in purity and in holiness, calling out their gifts and affirming who they are in Jesus. Come on, can I get an amen? This is who we should be, and beloved, it's who we will be in the spiritual family. We will honor women, call out the gifts of God in them, affirm them, and allow them to operate in the grace that God has for them with encouragement. We're gonna call forth that what God has put in the body and say, yes, Lord, have your way through all the church. It's who we're supposed to be. So then I thought about it. Let's just think about Jesus' example for a minute. And I'll just tell you, if you guys listen really closely, I can get you to the buffet before the Baptists, all right? So just pay attention. I mean, we'll high five them when we get there. We love them, but we, something about being first in line, Mother's Day buffet, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So Jesus treated women radically different than was the prevailing culture. He was so countercultural in his message. Paul was so countercultural, and, and and the thing about Paul is I think Paul has been completely misunderstood when we look through Paul, and we'll do that at another time. but let's look at Jesus. Jesus respected women, He gave great honor and great dignity to women from all walks of life. And so I, I've listed uh, several. Uh, Interactions that Jesus had with women, and I just want to say, you know, just a word or two uh, uh, about a few of them. But you know, consider that Jesus is coming from, you know, from a Jewish rabbinic, you know, uh, setup where men were forbade by law to to, uh, uh, from talking to women in public, greeting a woman, or teaching a woman the Torah. Now, that wasn't God's laws; that was rabbis' laws superimposed on, on, the, uh, on the, the law of God. Consider John 4 when Jesus met the woman at the well. And here she is. Not only is it a woman, it's a Samaritan woman. And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus has this interaction with her where he says, would you, would you draw for me some, some water, you know, and, and the whole, when you, when you read through that whole story, there's this sense of like, what is going on here right now? The woman is completely in shock that Jesus is even talking to her. The disciples show up, he's in shock, they're in shock that Jesus is talking to her. They're, everybody's going like, what's wrong with Jesus today? And Jesus is saying, it's not what's wrong with me, it's what's wrong with this sin sick world that the cultural division is false and the gender division is false. And then he commissions the woman to go back to her town and tell them about Messiah. Somebody should have told Jesus that women aren't allowed to preach. (laughs) Yeah, I'm all over those toes today. I'm feeling it. Next, the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. Here's here's this woman, the Pharisees, they all get her, and they throw her in the midst. We miss this point often in in teaching John chapter 8. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. What does that mean? Feast of Tabernacles is the feast where they celebrated God coming and tabernacling with men, and this woman was caught in adultery, tabernacling in sin on the Feast of Tabernacles. If there was ever a time God was just gonna, you know, drop a lightning bolt on somebody, that would be the moment because she's completely in opposition to that that special feast, that special time of worship. And instead, they throw her in the midst, they gather around, they get the, the stoning stones ready to kill this woman, and what does Jesus do? He gets down in the dirt. I mean, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever thought about the Son of God, God in the flesh, down in the dirt with a woman caught in adultery. He's not dignifying the sin. He's just honoring the image of God. This is a human being. This is a real person. He says, whoever's whoever's completely sinless, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone, and they all walk away and he looks and he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's not just a greasy grace message. He goes, go and sin no more. But I just think about Jesus in the dirt with that woman caught in adultery, and I just think, man, how would I have handled that moment? How would would the church of today handle that moment? How would would Christian Twitter have handled that moment? How, How would Christian Facebook have handled that moment? And I'll just tell you guys, we need Jesus. We we don't need our opinions right now, the prevailing mentalities right now. We don't need our attitude right now. We need Jesus because he comes into the middle of something that is completely controversial, and he brings peace to it by expressing the heart of the Father and bringing righteousness and justice to the moment. That's where we're supposed to live as the church. Think about Mary of Bethany pouring her oil over Jesus and sitting at his feet and and Jesus saying, hey, 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 leave her alone. What she's doing is a beautiful thing and it's gonna be remembered, it's gonna be memorialized when the gospel is preached. I I thought about that, you know? Think about all the cool things the, the, the disciples did. I mean, they had some cool healings. They, when, when he sent them out, man, they said, we saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, right? He could have turned to them and said, man, the power that you guys have released is gonna be memorialized, and when the gospel is preached, everybody's gonna talk about the lightning anointing that was on you. No, he didn't say that. Here's Mary pouring out her dowry over Jesus, and he says that is actually what's going to get threaded in to the gospel message. The point is, the gospel, Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood, is to cause humanity to pour themselves out on Jesus. It's not a system of belief. It's not a bunch of religious rules. It's it's supposed to come and just rock your world so much that you don't want to live for anything else but Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's what we see in her when she's pouring out her dowry. She's pouring out her future on Jesus. A woman memorialized in the very message of the gospel. When you think about Jesus and his team around him. Luke chapter 8 tells us that his main support team was rich women. Glory to God. (laughs) The the, uh, wife of one of Herod's main guys, one of his stewards, Joanna, she was there and she was sowing into his ministry and and paying for the work of the 12 to go forth. She was a, a, a key part of the leadership team in that sense. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead, again, somebody should have told him about the prohibition on gospel preaching for women because he turned to the women and said, go and tell the boys. You know, sometimes you gotta have a woman tell the boys. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time, I'll tell you this, this something that happened to me, it was a prophetic thing that happened to me. I was, um, I was in bed with sleep, and my wife out of a dead sleep. She never talks in her sleep. I mean, just maybe if she's dozing off once or twice, you know, she says, you know, the cow and the dog jumped over the moon. But but, by the way, she doesn't just come out of dead sleep. And, uh, And we were just, you know, sawing logs there. And she, out of a dead sleep, began to prophesy and declare the word of the Lord to me. Be brave. I mean, it was scary. I just, my wife is tender. She is the, the picture of a meek and quiet spirit. Be brave. <laughs> so I woke up to. And I literally I go, Babe? Babe? <laughs> like, are you there? And she's like, oh. I'm like, that was wild. Like, I didn't wake her up and go, You just freaked me out. I was just like, Oh my gosh. And it was the word of the Lord. And the Lord began to speak to me. He goes, so often you've imagined she's only spoken to you with her own opinion and it's been my voice speaking through her and you needed to hear what I had to say. He corrected me. And man, I'm sitting there in bed trembling. I mean, that was like a serious morning. I was like, oh, like fear the Lord on me. Trembling as God corrected me about the way he would use even my wife to speak the word of the Lord to me. Husbands, be instructed, amen. Jesus' actions, his teachings, they raised the status of women. He did it by example, he did it by proclamation. He, He raised the status of women to new heights, I mean he showed his disciples that this is not how women are to be treated and he went completely against the customs and the beliefs of the time and he completely showed that that they are in no way inferior uh, spiritually, intellectually, or socially. And so with this I just wanna just wrap up a few thoughts. You know there's this giant movement in, in the earth right now, Me Too. And now there's one that's hitting the church. It's church too. And I don't want to talk about it from a political standpoint. I understand there's politics involved in some of this. But the fact that in 2018, this is a social conversation that women are now just able to come forward and say, sin has been perpetrated against me. Beloved, I'm telling you, this is something the church is supposed to recognize and lead in as it relates to honoring and being holy in our, our way that we view and, and the way that we, we relate with women. It's a shame, what a shame on our society that these are the stories that are coming out right now. And I just think Hollywood, you know, the, I mean, the hypocrisy is pretty intense, isn't it? Just gonna ram a bunch of sex scenes down everybody's throat right, to get paid for that, meanwhile, we're gonna call out, you know, sexual sin in people while we're cramming that stuff. Down. It's just so, so hypocritical, right? Well, how about in the church? I mean, there's probably the same level of hypocrisy where we command people to be holy and sexually pure, but we actually carry some of the same misogyny and actually perpetrate some of the same sin. I'll just tell you, it ought not be that way the people of God ought not have sin named among them in that way. There should be a holiness and a purity on the church that is so exemplary to the world. They just look at the community of faith and they go, my goodness, look at their women. Look how they treat their women. It's Jesus. Look at that. It should be so clear. When I'm a counseling, a husband and a wife, I always look at the wife first because the Bible's clear about it that the, the woman is the glory of the man, right? And I can tell what's going on in that home just by looking at her. I can tell if there's honor going on there. I can tell if there's blessing going on there. If there is a touch on her, I know that that husband is loving her as Christ loved the church. But if there is an oppressive thing on her, If there is a, a, you know, this suppressive thing on her, I can tell this man doesn't know the love of Jesus and he doesn't know how to love his wife in the same way. Hallelujah. In the community of faith, it ought to be that our women are shining, beloved. They should be such an example of the bride who will be bright and shining with righteousness. This is how it should be. So. Last thoughts, listen quick and we'll hit the buffet. Because of the New Testament admonitions to honor women, Roman society historically went under a massive change because of the Bible teaching about how women are supposed to be honored. You can just look it up in history books. I don't have to walk through it with you, but they, the shift in Roman society and ultimately the overthrow of, of the Roman Empire is largely due to the fact of the propagation of Christianity and one of the key pillars was the, the elevating of women in society, giving them honor because they had suppressed for so long. That's the power of the gospel, to break that spirit that has choked women out and Suppressed women for so long. Paul, when he explains that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, he put women on an equal spiritual plane with men never before realized in the earth. And that's what we have to recognize. Now, just so you don't misunderstand me, I believe headship is male. But that does not mean that women can't operate in every area of leadership and all the graces of God and proclaim the gospel. Headship is ultimately male. We see that in the family. We see that in the church. But women have grace on them to teach, preach, and lead in all sorts of uh, fashions and functions. Amen. So there's difference in creation roles, but value and gifting is equal. Value and gifting is equal. And I just wanna remind us of that issue of women being the picture of the bride. There's no greater elevation of a woman's stature than to be the picture of the one that Jesus loves and the one that Jesus fights for. And so just in the last thought, I just wanna say this to us. The church and our church, we should be a leading voice, a leading example of what it means to honor women properly. There should be no glass ceiling. There should be no glass ceiling. There should be no gender bias. Oh, you know, she's just, you know, just a woman, you know. There should be such a value and an honor that we have in this house for women that we see women begin to explode in their gifts and graces. And with that in mind, I just wanna say this, if, if you're a, a woman in here and you've experienced that glass ceiling, you've experienced that suppression, you've experienced that thing where you feel like you've been held down, I would just say this, this far and no more. This far and no more. Not over our leadership team, not over our pastoral team, not over our dead bodies, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're grateful for you. We appreciate you. We, we um, identify and affirm the gift of God in you women, the grace of God in you women, to teach, to preach, to lead in all sorts of areas. We believe this, that there is so much um, efficiency that the body of Christ has lost by not seeing women in their rightful role and their rightful place in the body when we've left it all just to a certain group, a certain gender to do all the work, that has completely hamstrung the church. And what about our prayers? What about the power of God being made manifest through the intercession of the church when the church rightly honors women? I'll tell you, there's a day coming when we're gonna step into the beauty that the Lord has in terms of how our gender roles are supposed to work together and the gifts and the graces of God flowing through the body in every quadrant and then the, the anointing that's gonna hit the prayer meetings is going to explode, our prayers will no longer be hindered because we've em- embraced a worldly mentality of gender roles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah and amen and amen. All right, let's do this. Let's stand to our feet for a moment. Y'all are too easy to preach to. It just goes so fast up here. I want to pray just for a moment. And, And honestly, women, I want to encourage you, and I want to just affirm you and bless you, but in this ministry time, I want to pray for our men. We've prayed for our women this morning, but I want to pray for our men that we would rightly honor women. Amen? I can't think of a better thing to do on Mother's Day than to call the men to honor women as God has desired. So let's just take a moment. And I'm, I'm right here with us. I'm not up here pointing a long finger at anybody in judgment. I'm saying, Lord, I want this in my own Heart in my own life and, and walk this out in an even greater measure than I, than I feel like I already do, in my home, in the ministry place, in the, in the society. So I'm right here as well as we pray. So Lord, here we are. and, and, and this morning we do. We, we just think it's awesome that there's a day that honors moms. We're so grateful for the gift that moms have been to our lives. and we're so grateful for the gift of women that mothering spirit that's part of the Imago Dei. We're so thankful. And Lord, right now, I just ask that you would continue to cause light to shine on our hearts, especially the men in the room. God, where we haven't honored women, where we've dishonored women, where we've we've given in to things like objectification of women or suppressing women, or or been part of that that gender-bias spirit Lord, we just want to renounce that right now. We just want to say we don't want any part of that at all anymore. We recognize there's something in you, in creation, by which men are supposed to honor and affirm and bless and lift women. And we just say today, we want to do a job that's worthy of Jesus in that area. So man, if you, if you just, right now, just before the Lord, just for a moment, if you just say, you know what, I recognize I need to grow in this area of honoring women. I need to understand more clearly what the scripture says. I need to walk it out with my life. Or maybe you just even recognize, I've just got paradigms that are off. I don't think I've got the same mindset that Jesus had. But I want to have it as it relates to honoring and valuing and esteeming women. I want God to do a work in my heart. If that's you, you're a man in here, I just want you to raise your hand. Just keep your hand up before the Lord. Just putting a target on yourself and saying, that's me. So, Father, here we are. And, Lord, I'm right here saying this together. I want to be a man that honors women, values and esteems them. My wife, the women around me in the church, women i meet in the in the workplace. God, I want to I want to honor them with my eyes, with my words, with my deeds, and with my attitudes. And Lord, we come before you right now, and we repent for where we haven't done that. We repent, God, for we we haven't honored women rightly. And we take the admonition of 1 Peter 3, and we say yes, God. We want to honor women as the weaker vessel, as co-heirs of the grace of God. Let that go deep into us right now. That our prayers wouldn't be hindered in any way. Let that be the testimony of this house, God. That women flourish here. They come alive here. They're covered properly here. They're safe here. They minister in their gifts and graces from this place with life and blessing. God, do it in us. Do it in us. Make it real. Oh, we just give you thanks. Let's just take a moment. We'll just worship the Lord, and then we'll be dismissed.